Hello, Story Community. Welcome to the Story Podcast. I am Harris III. I am so thrilled that you're joining us for this episode, featuring some of our story roundtable discussion that we had on Zoom recently with none other than my friend Morgan Harper Nichols. Morgan is well known by millions of people for her incredible work as an artist, poet, and musician, and so much more. I'm sure you've seen her art pinned somewhere on Pinterest, reposted all over Instagram, or maybe in Target, Anthropology, Crate and Barrel, or who knows where because it is literally everywhere. Her book, All Along You Are Blooming, is a Wall Street Journal bestseller, and she has an online shop called Garden24. Look, if you're not sure who I'm talking about, just head over to morganharpernichols.com because you're going to want to check out her work and become familiar. She is amazing. And back when we were planning out our roundtable discussions for our five storytelling type sessions, I knew that Morgan was the perfect person for when we got to the artisan type. See, artisans are not simply painters, dancers, musicians, or poets, but people who have a deep connection to everything that they experience. And through art, they're able to translate their experiences to a waiting world to take in and translate for themselves. Maya Angelou summed up the artisan type best when she said, there is no greater agony than bearing an untold story inside of you. The artisans listening understand that deeply. And Morgan unpacks some of her journey to her easily recognizable work that you experience today and how she makes sense of her world through that work. Over the course of an hour, we talked live with a whole bunch of folks from the story community, breaking down Morgan's creative process, how she decides which art is for her and which is for everyone else, how art guides her life and gives her purpose, her inspiration, and so much more. It was a rich conversation. And so I'd love to share a little bit of that conversation with you now. Let's listen in. Let's talk about some of the small beginnings because now uh, part of, we all we all want the almost 2 million followers on Instagram, right? And you're like, oh, if I could just have almost 2 million followers like Morgan has, um, then I feel like I could finally get the attention, the... Um, recognition that my work really deserves the all the positive things, right? But what you're reminding me as we're having this conversation is that with those 2 million followers also comes the, hey, can you make something different? And I'm not really a fan of this kind of stuff and all the hate, right? It, it's like two sides of the coin that comes with that level of platform. Um, yeah. Let's talk about the small beginnings before all that stuff came. You talked a lot about that in your story 2020 talk. Um, what were these small beginnings for those who don't know them, fill them in. Yes. Yeah, so I, you know, I think it kind of ties into what I've already shared of just having these vivid memories in my life of how, how, where I came from and how that impact where I am today. And a lot of it was just seeing resourcefulness and also like empathy and compassion for other people laid out before me. And a lot of that was, you know, my parents and, and my, my parents had the kind of house, like where everyone was just welcome in. It was like open door, come on in. And there was a bright red piano right downstairs. Like when you first walk in the house and it was just such a t- talking point for, you know, anybody that came in, you know, bright red baby grand piano. And the story of it was that my mom actually found it on the street. And it's red because she went to Home Depot and there was like three gallons of red oops paint 
candy apple red oops paint and she bought that and there you go that's how the piano totally see your mom doing that (laughs) yeah yeah that's the story oops paint um and then just right down the hall people like wow look at this big library that you all have we had like every national geographic from like the year national geographic started i think all the way up to like 2003 or something like that we had every one and we were like wow it's amazing and my dad built that bookshop. Like I watched him go get everything to bring the wood home, build it. All the natural geographics was from us going to the thrift store every single week. Me and my sister had a spreadsheet that we made that was, you know, we would have called it a spreadsheet, but it was, you know, essentially a spreadsheet of like, okay, we've got 19, we've got November, 1958. All right. Now we need December, 1958. All right. We wrapped up to 1958. Okay. Now on to 19. And all of that, it was like, it's so incredible how people can come in and say, wow, look at what you have, look at what you've done. And yeah, behind the scenes and what made it that way was really not that much. I mean, yes, it was time, it was love. And, but it wasn't like what at times the world tends to make us think we need to have in order to make something meaningful. So Yeah, I'm I'm grateful for those images. And I and I even try to like encourage other people to like find those images in their life that they can kind of hold on to of like like every time I, I think of that red piano, like it 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 brings me back to that place. So yeah. Mm. Yeah, that'd be fun to do in the chat, actually. I would love for everyone if you if you have an image in your mind of what that small beginning was for you. Uh, for Morgan, she's saying it's the red piano or the national geographic magazines. What is that for you? I'm curious, drop that into the chat. Um, while they're doing that, Morgan, uh, you also talked about the reality that eventually those small beginnings didn't seem like enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and you started stepping into the next chapter of your story. Yeah. Would it, talk a little bit about those, uh, those feelings of enoughness and what you did in response. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's, I had, you know, I had the opportunity to, um, to make music starting in my, in my teenage years. And I have a a younger sister who is a lot more energetic than I am. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Hair is definitely no, a lot more is a slight Um, understatement. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Very energetic. Um, very, you know, we're both musical, but she's just like the high energy version of, of me. And she ended up just like going out into the world, making music. Her name's Jamie Grace. She still makes music and stuff. And I ended up traveling with her and, and, and doing a lot of music. And one thing that, that was very difficult for me, and it's still difficult to, if I'm just being totally transparent, is the expectation of, if you put something out there, then that means you must do that thing at scale. And you must do that thing at scale for years, decades as a career. And one thing I really struggled with when I was I in music kind of much more full-time than I am now um, was that I felt like every time I reached a milestone that I was proud of, it was, okay, well, here's these other 10 you have to try to get. Um, I remember at times like singing at events and I'm like, wow, Morgan, you can really sing. You should audition to American Idol. And I'm like, I did. Oh, what happened? They told me, no, you should audition for America's Got Talent. I did. What happened? They told me no. <laughs> Every single show. And it goes beyond just, you know, the reality shows like, oh, you should give this person your album. I did. What happened? <laughs> 
they told me no. <laughs> and it just keeps going and going and going. And it's almost like in a lot of ways, the more you work on your craft, the more sometimes that expectation builds. It's like, it's like, well, what do you mean you're not going to do X, Y, and Z with this? So I, I, I went through a lot of years of not having any language for that and feeling like I was just inadequate. I, I spent way too many years, five, six years, maybe even more than that, but five, six years of just feeling like, wow, as, as much as I'm giving to doing this thing that I feel called to do, storytelling, through music, through art, it just feels like it's never going to be enough. Like even when I have a good moment, it's like, well, you got to duplicate that now. And again, and again, and again, and again. And yeah, it, it, it really got to the point where I almost just wanted to give up completely um, because it gets to the point where like, there's layers to it. Like there's, there's a part where you see like, you know, kind of like every, I feel like everyone has like that kind of like image of like whoever it is in your industry, like the people in the suits, you know, whatever they are, your industry is like, they're the gatekeepers. They're the ones, you know, they, they sit there, maybe they look a little stuffy. Like they're going to tell, you know, it's like you, there comes a part where you you're like, okay, forget about those people. But then outside of those people, there's also the people who they're just bringing up the stuff because they do believe in you and you don't want to let them down. Like I had people to this day who are in the music industry who gave me a lot and, and they were like, no, I, I'll, I'll tell people, you know, like about your music, I'll do this and that. And then you'd see it not come together. And you're like, oh, now I let them down too. And it's just, you know, it's layers and layers of it. So yeah, it took me a, a long time before I, I finally started to find, find the language for what that feeling was. It's so cool. And I don't know if you're seeing the chat. These are amazing. These are these uh, sort of visual images of people's early beginnings. Mm, wow. I want to read some of these out. Uh, Mar says sunset walks around my neighborhood, photographing the flowers. Uh, Susie says my mom at the sewing machine making us Halloween costumes. Um, Karen says coffee table books with photographs and receiving my first camera. Kate said the writing desk that sat in my room under the window. Uh, Fred Astaire movies with my grandma watching Walt Disney programs on TV as a child. Uh, being outdoors, a black piece of construction paper with my first award-winning poem written in silver ink and stickers decorating the page around the words. I was in sixth grade and I finished the poem and I knew I would be a writer. That's from Jeannie. That's amazing. Sixth grade. So however many years ago that was, she still remembers those really unique details, right? These experiences form us. They're um, a part of laying the groundwork for the stories that we're still telling today. It's really cool. Scott says, end the world with a $5 camera. There's so many. Wow. Lots of versions of the red piano. (laughs) I love that. Oh my goodness. Yeah, I'm getting lost in the comments too. I just see the one about the dad's royal typewriter. That's amazing. Yeah. How how often do you return back to these small beginnings? Do they still inspire the stuff that you're making today? And how how can these folks do the same thing? Do we return back to this place? Is it when we need them? Is it fuel? It's an inspiration. Mm-hmm. How do you use them? Yeah, you know, it's 
for me, it's something that I think kind of starts off a little lighthearted, but then it ends up becoming deeper. Um, so for me personally, like I just love nostalgia. You know, I I just love like just the other night at like 11 o'clock at night, I was sending my sister some really obscure um, old TVN show that we used to watch. <laughs> and I was like, do you remember this? And she's like, oh my gosh, I do. And so, yeah, maybe that's just us, but we kind of live in that like nostalgic, like we love to look back and like try to remember, because there's a lot of stuff you just forget, like yeah. just little things. So for me, I, I do have a lot of that in my life. Like I just kind of gravitate toward it. And then it ends up reminding me of other things from my childhood or other things from, you know, earlier stages of my life. So I think a lot of it will have to come down to, you know, what, what your sensibilities are. You know, some people People are more auditory, you know, maybe for you listening to music kind of takes you to a different place. For me, I don't know why. I mean, I'm a musician, but for me, it's the visuals, like the visuals can just, they go right there for me. So, and, and I think it's one of those things too. It's, you know, in some stages of life, like we're, we're in more reflective modes, seasons, and some stages you know, where maybe not so much. So I think if, if you're in a space where, you know, maybe if you're writing a, a memoir, like you probably want to be in a reflective state. <laughs> yes. um, so you probably need to figure out what your sensibilities are of, of, of like, oh yeah, when I, when I watch these movies from this era or these songs from this time in my life, then I'm able to really tap mm -hmm. into something. So I think that's important. And I, and I think the most thing is important is like, give yourself permission to ebb and flow out of that, you know, and, and, and not, you know, worry about people like me who could, who, <laughs> who may think like that all the time for like, I'm sorry. Like, I just don't think I don't live in the past like that more again. Like, that's okay. Like <laughs> some of us are just, you know, we're just, Nostalgic. we're just all about it all the time. <laughs> that's all right. We don't all have to live there. We need some people to look ahead too. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's interesting too. Just the ripple effect. I think that this has that stories and art has, because even reading through these, all these multiple mentions of typewriters, I'm like, I completely yeah. forgot about the typewriter that was at my grandparents' house and how obsessed I was with it as a child. And then it's like, the deeper I go into those memories, it's like, oh my gosh. And then I remember we used to do this. And then there was the, they brought home like the little bankroll paper calculator thing that could just do numbers. And we used to make Christmas ornaments out of it. It's just like one thing leads to another memory, which leads to another memory. And I think a lot of that stuff is worth exploring mm. um, as we figure out how to make better art and tell stories that matter. Um, as you were telling stories that matter throughout your twenties, another thing that you talked about as you were navigating that sort of those feelings of enoughness, you started exploring the difference between smallness versus significance. And you talked about this sort of breakdown that you had in your mid twenties, which was a big turning point for you. That was the, am I getting this memory right? It's, that was sort of the birthplace of the small beginnings, yeah. big failures poem, right? Yeah. Yeah. Tell, yeah. tell us about that. Yeah. So I, um, you know, after kind of that space in my life where I was really struggling with uh, just feeling like the work I was doing was just not enough, I ended up writing a poem that just kind of expressed that feeling. And at first I didn't really have any intention of sharing it, but at, a, for, at the last minute, I just decided that, oh, I'll just put it on Pinterest and see what happens. Well, I posted that in November, I think like it was like November 16th, 2016. 
And then January of 2017, it had been repinned over 100,000 times on Pinterest. And I didn't use any hashtags or anything like that. Um, And the poem was to me very personal and specific to me. I didn't think it was something that everybody or even a large group of people could relate to. Hence why I shared it on a, pro- on a profile that I didn't really even use, that I didn't really have, you know, I was just like, oh, let's put it there and just see what happens. And what ended up happening from there, I mean, I don't say this lightly, but it changed my life <laughs> because I went from seeing everything as like, okay, I got to figure out how to cross all these T's and dot all these I's so that I can not even just thrive, but just function in life. But then what ended up happening was I took this very personal story of mine, ended up creating reactions in people that I didn't even know. And at first, my first reaction was, it was like, I was very skeptical of it. Like, I was just like, you know, you know, I was very cynical is probably the word, like, things, you know, things go viral, like stuff blows up. Like it it was probably just a fluke. You know, I was talking myself out of it, but what got me down, brought me down to the ground and really humbled me was that I started to receive messages on Instagram from young women who had read the poem. And many of them were about 10 years younger than me. I was like, 26 at the time. And they were like 16 and they were just sharing with me how that poem connected with them and the very specific things in their life and how it spoke to them. Mm. And it humbled me because I was like, this is so specific. And yet it's a very different set of specificities from what I was specifically writing about. And it made me realize that, wow, all this time I've been allowing myself to get so anxious and nervous about how am I going to do something that just allows me to just keep going and and, and being creative and do all these things? Um, Or even again, just function, like very transparent, like y'all, I was so broke. Like (laughs) me and my husband, we were like, just your typical, like millennials just on the road trying to figure it out. Like it was, (laughs) it was a struggle. Like student debt was through the roof. Like we were month to month. Like it it was a real struggle. So it it wasn't even so, so much about like, Oh, I just have to create this big thing. It was like, Mm -hmm. I'm just trying to do something to survive. Mm -hmm. So to go from that feeling to recognizing, Oh, wait a second. There's literally 16 year old girls out there who feel that same way. It's like, just talk to them. Like, you don't have to talk to everybody. You don't have to reach everyone. It's like, there's someone right in front of you. Like, and that is significant. And I would say even more significant than trying to reach everybody all at once. Yeah. And um, yeah, that, that is what gave me the energy, the motivation, the inspiration to do what I'm doing today and, and to keep, keep practicing that, that slowing down and, and paying attention to that smallness as significance. That's amazing. And I, I think the, the huge takeaway from that is, is that you didn't know you posted the poem and you didn't know. Mm-hmm. And it, I, I think this is where, this is where storytellers like me can really learn from artisans like you. Uh, you're so good at going, I'm not posting this for everyone else. I'm posting this because 
I needed to express this thing that I was feeling in this moment. And so often I think outside of the artisans in our lives, we tend to create for others more than for ourselves. We tend to create to achieve the certain objective or for the audience. We give the people what they want, so to speak, instead of honoring the story that's supposed to be coming out of us. Um, and you just time and time again have just remained true to yourself. And that probably, I think, speaks a lot to, um, I think, your willingness to courageously continue to explore your own story, the good parts, the darker chapters, the the clarity, the lack of clarity, the frustrations, the being broke, the making it, the, mm -hmm. and everything in between. Right. Yeah. Um, so what would you say to the people out there? that's just like, they're, they're going to post or they're going to a canvas or they're picking up a musician or an, an instrument to play a song. And they're just, they're still creating what they think the world wants from them yeah. as opposed to what they're really supposed to say. Yeah, you know, I would say and it took me a long time to be able to to be able to recognize this in myself because I I do still have that like, you know, especially when when you're having to create professionally, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm very aware that like certain people might see what I do and it's very hard to just completely avoid all of that. So one thing that I I've incorporated into my practice, my creative practice is is accepting that it is very human to, to feel that desire to want to be seen by others. And that also applies to what we make. So even though it's Instagram and at the end of the day, Instagram's like this, you know, robot on our phone that does its little algorithm things. And it's like, yeah, even though it's, it's like algorithms and a robot and stuff, it's still very human to feel like, oh, but there's people on there and I want those people to see me and I want to see them. Like we shouldn't shame ourselves for that is what I'm getting at. It's like, that's the first step. Mm -hmm. It's like, if you, if you catch yourself thinking, oh, what's so-and-so going to think about this? Like, that's human to think that way. We're, we're wired for connection. And the next part is figuring out, well, what are some healthy ways that that part of me can be fulfilled? And starting that before you share anything online. So for me, what that looks like is when I make something, I decide who it's for before I share it. That is like, it's a ritual at this point. I have to do that. If I don't do that, it's like, well, you know, we're just looking for likes and followers now. And you don't want that. <laughs> you got to decide who it's for. Mm -hmm. And sometimes, and I'm actually finding over the past couple of years, more times, <laughs> it's for you. Recognizing that it's for you. Maybe not today you, maybe it's for 16 year old you, 25 year old you, or 85 year old you, you know, whether it's past, future, present, whatever, decide who it's for. And for me, I sometimes take that very literally and I'll send it to someone and say, Hey, this is for you. I made this with you in mind. I was thinking about you. And it doesn't have to be like a deep, profound thing all the time. It's like, I did that with my sister. I was like, Hey, this, this color palette, this made me think of you. It's, it's so you. And I just sent it to her. So that way, if a hundred people come in the comments and say, oh my gosh, I hate this. I'm like, well, it wasn't for them. <laughs> mm. It was for my sister. Like they were so just, good. they were CC'd. I, I, I just copied you on the email of what already happened. And some people will, will 
want to be a part of it. And, and some may just keep scrolling, who knows? So that's, that's kind of the two phase part of it. And, and I find that when I can get those two things, um, uh, in my brain, that, that helps. And I'm so sorry, but I'm so distracted because two people, so people mentioned Scott Erickson and Seth Godin in the comments. I'm like, yes, yes. Go listen to those two. That- yeah. I love the comment from Abby. Yeah. I, yeah. I think Scott is a mutual friend of ours, but he yes. refers to his art as releasing a haunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love that idea that his art won't leave him alone until he makes it. Yes. Um, but I love this metaphor that you're talking about, the idea of CCing. I love that so mm-hmm. much because it, it allows us to go, okay, when the critics come, we can just recognize mm-hmm. that's okay. It wasn't for you. Yeah. And sometimes the person this is for is me or mm-hmm. someone else. But I think what you're teaching me and others is go ahead and CC everybody else. Let the world mm-hmm. in on the creative process and the stuff yeah. that you're making. And if it's not for them, that's okay. But if you let them look in, oftentimes when we create and tell stories and make things from a deep place of authenticity, um, we end up realizing, oh, there's a whole bunch of other people that can relate to the stuff that I'm making and going through too. And we realize it was probably for more than just myself or my mm-hmm. sister or my whoever, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. And 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 I think it's, and honestly, like, you know, I, I don't think I can ever fully understand, you know, why every single person connects to what I do. But I think at the core of it, there is a lot of connection around this idea of, of wow, I can I can sense that this was made in a in a sincere way, and it wasn't made to you know try to like loop me into something or try to like just be clickbait or something like that. I think people people are very smart. Like we're a lot we're a lot smarter as humans than we tend to give ourselves credit for, and we can we can intuitively know like when it's like yeah, this is genuine. Like this person like. There, this is a lot of times we can, we can know those things. So yeah. Yes. Yes. Trends will come and go, but we will always be human. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think it will always be a heartfelt trend when people just show up and be human and all the other stuff will continue to float around and fade and come and go. But if we just bring this authentic humanity to the stuff that we're making, I don't think that will ever cease to resonate with people. I want to make sure you caught that. As she said, trends will come and go, but people will always be human. Look, the wisdom in that statement is incredible. Let it sink in. I mean, I'm sure we've all had times where we've chased the trends, right? We've tried to be the most relevant, the most cutting edge, the most innovative, the most trendy, and possibly forgetting that the stories that we tell are meant to hit deeper than that because the aptly called you know, human condition just doesn't change. We still want to be loved, accepted, seen, heard, supported, championed, defended. The the list goes on and on. And just like Morgan talked about when she talked about that first time a piece of art of hers went viral, it wasn't the pretty colors or design, but it was the heartfelt words that Morgan poured onto a page, possibly written more to herself than even to others. I'm sure there are ways that you approach your own storytelling right now that could use a gut check and a deeper dive to make them more human or less trendy. Again, just wow. I'm so grateful that you joined us for this chat with Morgan today. Our hope is that this was an injection of fuel into your creative tanks so that you can be empowered and encouraged to keep creating 
keep putting yourself out there. Keep leading with vulnerability because magic happens when you do. And look, if you're curious about these storytelling types we've been talking about, maybe what it means to be an artisan or an amplifier or a connector or any of the other five types, just head over to storygatherings.com right there on the homepage. Take a very brief assessment. There are five types that you could be, whichever you uh, find that you are, you can see yourself in any of the five types, uh, but know that we all have this sort of core dominant type, this motivation, this pull towards why we tell stories. So there's going to be one that speaks to the core motivations that you have. And hopefully we can figure out what's behind that type and reveal it to you. So go take it, get started on a path towards discovering how to tell better stories and collaborate with other types along the way. It'd be good for you. And it also helps you become a better collaborator. It's good stuff. Trust me. So we have more coming down the pipeline for you with focuses on the remaining three types, which are connector, investigator, and revolutionary. You don't want to miss anything. So if this is your first time jumping into the podcast, please hit the subscribe button so you don't miss any episodes. If you enjoyed this episode and you haven't done so yet, please leave a rating or review on the podcast platform of your choice. That makes a huge difference. I know you get tired of hearing hosts like me on podcast ask you for ratings and reviews, but they really do make a huge difference. And if anything, it just affirms, hey, I'm, I'm enjoying the content you're putting out. Please keep going, team. Keep going. It takes a whole team of people to make this possible. And so we'd love to hear from you. We recently found out that the Story Podcast is in the top 1.5% of podcasts in the entire world. And that is made possible by each and every single one of you. So I just want to say a humble thank you for your continued support. If you haven't made plans to join us yet for Story 2022, that's coming up quickly in September. Whether you want to join us in Nashville or online, virtually, uh, please make sure you go and grab your ticket. Do that in-person tickets are going crazy fast. Head over to story2022.com. That's it for this episode. I'm Harris III. I hope you'll join us again next week for another episode of the Story Podcast. Thanks for listening. The Story Podcast is a production of the Astoria Collective. It is hosted and curated by Harris III and produced, edited, and mixed by Chad Michael Snavely and the team at Sound On Studios. All music is provided by the talented musicians at Soundstripe. For more information about this podcast and other creative offerings from Story, visit storygatherings.com.